Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> I am anticipating closing up our series through Ephesians here in the next few weeks. Uh, I know we've been in it a long time, but hopefully it's been productive and uh, we've had an opportunity to see how the Lord works through the apostle to instruct and teach and train the church in sound doctrine and um, sound soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, as well as uh, how to function and to work as a church. We continue that, um, taking a look at Ephesians chapter 5, going down to verse, from 14, I'm sorry, from verse 15 down to verse uh, 21, looking at this passage and closing up this this section, if you will, where Paul has told us to be imitators of God as dear children. So if you found Ephesians chapter 5, let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of the word. We're going to start in verse 15, go down to verse 21. Look carefully then, the apostle writes, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the convicting power of the word. But most importantly, we thank you for the transforming power of your word. That we read it and as the Holy Spirit makes it alive in us, you transform us more and more to the image of your son. And that is our prayer tonight. In Jesus' name. Thank you all. The theme, maybe you've picked it out already, but the theme of Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5 is walking. Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Ephesians 4.17, you must no longer walk as Gentiles in the futility of their minds. Ephesians 5.1 and 2, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us. About first chapter 5, verse 8, walk as children of light. And now verse 15, walk not as unwise, but as wise. All of this walking in these two chapters is predicated on what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And then later in that same passage, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. And again, all of this then goes back to the opening words of the apostle in this epistle when he says in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be, or we should walk in holiness and blamelessness before him. 
There is a consistency in Paul's message to the church. God saved us in Christ, sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Now we walk in the power and the presence of God. Here in chapter 5, we find Paul tells us to be imitators. That is the thesis of this whole chapter. Be imitators as beloved children. And then he describes the nature of that imitation. The first is to walk in godly love as modeled by Christ's sacrifice. His fragrant offering, Paul calls it. Not, not in selfish love modeled by sexual immorality and impurity and idolatrous covetousness. Next, Paul says to walk in light, in the light of God's attributes of goodness and rightness and truthfulness as discerned by God and not in man's unfruitful works of darkness and shamefulness and secrecy. Today we find Paul teaching the church that we're to imitate God by walking in wisdom. And he gives us four markers, if you will, in this chapter. He says, guard your time, be filled with the Spirit, have a glad and worship-driven heart, and then thankfully submit to one another. But before we look at these examples, before we look at the examples of wisdom that Paul's offered, the first thing we have to do is understand what is wisdom. What, what is this wisdom that we're to walk in? Paul says in verse 15 to look carefully. I looked up some other translations. The King James Version interprets this as walking circumspectly. That's not a word we use very much today. Other translations say consider carefully. Be careful. Be very careful. The Phillips expanded translation says, with a due sense of responsibility. The word here means to perceive, to behold, to take heed. There is a sense that this, is, this looking is not a, a passing glance, but it is peering and it is, it is examining. When we used to walk up and down the woods, down by the river, we walked carefully because we didn't want to step on a copperhead. That's what Paul means. We watch where we're going. We look carefully. So what are we looking for? We're looking for wisdom. Wisdom is not just an accumulation of facts. One author described it as wisdom is a practical and experiential skill for living. Another described it this way, savvy ability to process knowledge into a practical ability to apply it to life, situations, and circumstances. So it's taking that knowledge and doing what's right with it. But we have to be on guard. We have to be on guard. To gain wisdom, we've got to look carefully. But the Apostle James warns us in James chapter 3, he says there's two kinds of wisdom. There's two kinds of wisdom. In James 3, verse 14 and following, he says if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and it's sincere. Paul has already made clear the wisdom we are to seek carefully to walk in as we walk with God. In Ephesians 1, verses 7, 8, and 9, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which is set forth in Christ. Paul says the gospel is wise. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul says, praying the word is wise. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 and following says, To me this grace was given to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery in God who created all things, that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. The church is wise when she is preaching the Bible. Look carefully. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. So how do we know the difference? Paul gives us four examples of unwise versus wise. And the first, the first is wasting time versus guarding time. Wasting time versus guarding time. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The word here is redeeming the time. There's a, there's a connotation here that it says ransoming the time because the days are evil. The word picture here is that time is enslaved by evil. This doesn't mean that the ticking of the clock is an evil activity. What he's saying here is that we, lost men and women, who are filled with sin and filled with depravity, use our time wickedly. This is what Paul has been describing throughout this chapter. Throughout this chapter, he says our time that is spent in sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness and idolatry and filthy, foolish talking, crude joking. It produces fruit of darkness. It is shameful and it's secret. He says this is the nature of the evil days. These are the nature of the evil times. And when we are doing that, our time is still captive to the evil. 
Nothing's changed in the last 2,000 years. We still live for entertainment, pleasure, gratification. We are entitled and have declared ourselves as deserving. We are the most bored people in the whole world, yet seldom are we productive, especially productive for the kingdom. Paul says, redeem the time. Make the best use of time because evil will chew it up. Moses' prayer in Psalm 90 is a sober reminder of the brevity of life. Psalm 90 verse 10, he writes, The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. James gets even more graphic in James 4.14 when he says, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Paul says, As an imitator of God who is wise is one who redeems his or her time. So how do we know if we're doing that? Paul continues. Secondly, he says that wisdom is marked by sober-minded living in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled. Be filled with the Spirit. We may first notice the parallel nature of of this contrast with the last. Being drunk is, among other things, not making the best use of your time. <clears throat> Secondly, in contrast with evil days, we find the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's another word picture on display here. Have you ever seen a drunk walking down the road? To say the very least, they are not very careful in every step they take. What's most important in this picture is this factor of time. Getting drunk is a quick event of self-satisfaction or self-escapism of the evils of this world or the perceived evils of this world. It's a one-time event. And while inebriation blinds us to the pain of this world, we still have to sober up and wake up to the same pain. And usually more that was brought on by our drunken debauchery. Paul's contrast here is to be filled with the Spirit. He says, be filled with the Spirit. There's an interesting construct to this statement. The mood is a continuous act. In other words, he says, continue always being filled with the Spirit. It's not something you do once and it's done. It's something that continually happens all the way through our lives. Being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time ecstatic or euphoric experience. 
It is every single day of our lives, every step, every careful step we walk in wisdom. So it's every day. It's continuous, but it's also an imperative. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. But this is a difficult part. It's passive. It, it's a passive sentence. That means it's something that is done to us, not by us. An illustration of this would be looking at a soccer ball and commanding it to be kicked as you threw it out into the field of play. There is nothing that soccer ball can do to obey that command. But everybody else on that field will do it. It can't make itself be kicked, but that's its only role. Being filled with the Spirit is a work that only the Spirit can do. Hear this, please. We cannot manipulate God into sending some special experience of the Holy Spirit. We cannot manipulate God. Paul has told us in this letter that he has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We are sealed until the day of eternity and he has given us the spirit of wisdom. He has told us that in Christ and through the spirit we have access to the Father. The Holy Spirit, Paul has written, is our strength, our peace. He is our bond of unity. So how do we, as passive objects, obey the command of being filled with the Spirit? The first, I think, is found in this verse. Avoid drunken debauchery. And I think our context here can broaden, not just on what we drink, but anything that would cause us this sense of confusion. The, the Proverbs offer us a similar warning here. Those who tarry long over wine, those who try mixed wine, do not look at wine when it's red, when, it's, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart utter perverse things. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like the one who lies on top of the mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I didn't feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. We first carefully walk in sober-mindedness. There's another connection to this idea of being filled here in this chapter. Back up in verse 6, Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. The, the picture of being filled in this passage is that the vessel, you and me, must first be emptied of ourselves. The, we must be emptied. 
you must empty you. When you are empty, you can be filled with booze, leading to drunkenness and debauchery, or you can be filled with the Spirit of God, leading to the fullness of Christ. Jesus' teaching is important in John 16, when he says the Spirit of truth, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will <coughs> glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There is a partnership between the child of God, the saved, redeemed, repentant child of God who is imitating his Father and the Holy Spirit. Like Christ, we empty ourselves. Philippians 2 he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant born in the likeness of man. In that emptying, we are now filled with the Spirit of God, the wisdom of God, the light of God, the love of God. In essence, we are filled with Christ. And this is not a one-time event. This is not something you walk, walk down an aisle, shake somebody's hand and pray a prayer and say, there, it's done. This is every single day. Paul says, watch carefully how you walk. I would say it's not every day. It's every step. Every step. We seek wisdom and sober-mindedness. We fill our heads with the transforming power of the Word of God. We fill our hearts with the transforming power of communion through prayer. We seek the transforming relationships with other Christ-following disciples in biblical fellowship. Like the soccer ball commanded to be kicked, if it stays on the sideline in the equipment locker, it will never fulfill its purpose. So too we, until we believe and are sealed by the Holy Spirit as children of God in Christ Jesus, predestined to be holy and blameless, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, until we all become mature to the measure and stature of Christ, until such time that repentance and belief are our everyday default lifestyles, we will not walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I think this is what Paul means when he says in Ephesians chapter 4, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and true holiness. Walking in wisdom means guarding our time. It means walking in the Spirit, which leads to two new realities. The last two pieces of this for the child of God who is imitating him. The first is that how we address one another. He says in verse 19 and 20, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> what did we neglect to be thankful for today? 
These verses offer a contrast from the earlier passages where Paul says to avoid filthiness and foolish talking, where he says to avoid crude joking. One of the principles of Bible study is looking for repetition. When we look at these verses, these two verses especially, we don't see any words that are repeated, but we see a type of word that is repeated. Addressing, singing, making, giving, and when we get to verse 21, submitting. These are all participles indicating a continuance activity. So we do this over and over and over. This is Paul defining how we make the best use of our times, of our time, our marks out lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Worship of the Lord and worship, especially corporately, is what marks the children of God. You'll notice in verse 19 that there are two directions for worship. First and foremost, all worship is the worship of the Lord. Every single aspect of worship is God focused. It's God word. But there's a second direction that Paul speaks of here, and it's towards the one another. It's with one another, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm going to ask you to do something uncomfortable, all right? Look around. All these beautiful faces you see, that's the one another of this text. That's the one another. How are we to speak to one another? We are to speak words that edify the Lord to one another. Edify one another when we speak. We speak words and tones reflective of the scriptures. The Psalms that Paul talks about here are the Psalms. The same book of Psalms that we read. When Paul went to church and the worship leader said turn to hymn number 81, he would have turned to Psalm 81, just like you and I would have. I don't think they were numbered then, but you get my point. He continues with hymns and psalms. We know or at least suspect there are several hymns and spiritual songs that are found within the text of the New Testament. The hymn of Mary is in Luke chapter 2 after Jesus' birth. The form of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20 indicate that it may have been a hymn or at least part of a hymn. Almost all of Revelation chapter 4 and 5 are singing before the Lord. Even here in Ephesians, the first 14 verses most likely was a song. We sing towards one another as we join our voices and we make a melody to the Lord with one heart. Worship is the foundational key to our imitating God. Worship is the evidence that we are walking in love. It's the evidence that we are walking in life. It's the evidence that we are walking in wisdom. But worship too often gets lost in the program. We see all the things we have to do and we neglect the one thing we're commanded to do. To glorify God through real and authentic worship. 
in spirit and in truth. Worship is confused today, and it has been for generations. Emotion or worship is not an emotional response. Daniel and I have talked about this. There may be an emotional reaction, but that in and of itself is not worship. I can tell you a heart-wrenching story and make you cry. Daniel can get up here and play some rocking out music and get you excited. I can give you a halftime motivational speech and send you out to win the game, but none of that is worship because worship starts in our hearts. It starts with knowing God. It starts by cherishing Christ above everything else. The old adage is true. What we talk about the most is what we care about the most. For some, we talk about ourselves the most. For some, we talk about our hobbies or our jobs or something else the most. For some, we talk about nothing the most. We just talk. <clears throat> Paul says when Christ is preeminent in our hearts, we will talk, we will speak, we will sing, and we will make a melody from our hearts with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We'll give that to him as an act of worship and we'll give that to one another as an act of edification. If Christ is in our heart, the Holy Spirit is filling our lives, then worship of the Father will be on our lips. The last verse, verse 21, says the last thing we look at today. And it's submitting. Notice that little ing, so that means it's continually, always submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. We'll examine this in more detail next week as we look at the most intimate relationships of humanity. <clears throat> Looking at the rest of chapter 5 and the first few verses of chapter 6. But today we must recognize Paul commands us to continually be in submission to each other. So those one another's that you saw a minute ago that were to address in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that's who you submit to. And that's who submits to you. We recognize then that Paul is emphasizing here the corporate body and not the individual. Beloved, you do not, you cannot live this Christian life alone. Christ's body is not your body, it's the church. All of this letter is to the church, not to the individual. When we make faith private, personal and individualistic we do that to our detriment we need each other we need to submit to one another we need the loving accountability of one another and we need the loving encouragement of one another we need the elders to equip us and we need to speak the truth in love as we grow up into Christ from whom the whole body is held together 
that every joint, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so it builds itself up in love. This is all of us being filled to the fullness of God by the death and resurrection of Jesus and the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit. The church is his temple. It's his dwelling place. It's his people. The fullness of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit is present in the lives of his children. Sober-minded living, loving one another, exposing what is hidden by the darkness, growing in holiness and righteousness as we speak and sing and worship the one and only true and living God in one heart and one voice, submitting to one another is not a devaluing of each other. It's the highest form of valuing each other. Friends, it's easy to look at each of these commands. It's easy to look at these commands from Paul to walk in love, to walk in light, to walk in wisdom, to look at the commands that we look at today, to be sober, to be spirit-filled, to be worshipful, and be submissive. And yes, we each have an individual responsibility because each of us are part of his body. But the body is, the, is, he, is what he is building to be his church. The call here is for the church, for the church to be sober, for the church to be spirit-filled, for the church to be worshipful, and for the church to be submissive. The church, we are the body working together for the advancement of the gospel and submission to Christ and submission to each other is what makes us work properly so that this body grows in love and builds itself up. There can be no Lone Ranger Christians. So what do we do with all this? How do we walk as imitators of God? <clears throat> I want to offer you two thoughts. First, pray to the Lord and confide in a Christian brother or sister about something. Just one thing that right now you need to abandon. Immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthy, foolish talking, crude joking, drunkenness. The list that Paul gives us here in Ephesians 5 is long. The list that goes on in our life is even longer. Maybe what you need to, to, to identify right now is not even on this list. But as God grows and examining our hearts, he'll reveal more. But find one thing. As Paul said, put off the old self. Find one thing to put off, repent of it, and kill it. Second, pray to the Lord and confide in a Christian brother or sister about one thing you need to start. Sacrificial love. Thanksgiving. Finding the knowing the will of God. Living in the goodness, rightness, truthfulness of God. Speaking to one another with words of edification and worship. Submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Identify one, just one thing right now that we can work on together. And as we do, 
God will continue to grow us. And just for full disclosure so that you're aware, Daniel and I began this week working through an elder development process. These levels of vulnerability are required and are going to be required even more. So we're not just demanding you change. We're attempting as best as fallen men can to lead by example. Repentance is abandoning a life that does not imitate God. Faith is embracing a life that does. I'm going to close today with Psalm 81. These are the words from God calling his people to return to him to hear him, to listen to him, and to repent. <clears throat> and I pray we may respond as God calls us to him as well. Psalm 81. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre in the heart. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of God of, of, God of Jacob. He made a, de a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulders of burden. Your hands were free <coughs> from the baskets. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O oh my people, God's voice. Hear, O oh my people, while I admonish you. O oh Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange gods among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign god. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe towards him and their faith would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Father, this evening as we are challenged by your word to imitate you, tonight just to walk in wisdom, to be careful to walk in wisdom. I pray as, as the psalmist prayed out here, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Father, may we hear your voice tell us that tonight. Oh, that we would listen to you. Oh, that we would walk in your ways that our enemies would be subdued 
and every need would be satisfied. Would you fill us with your spirit every day continually? May we never lose sight of the cross and the empty tomb. we look at the picture of Jesus taking our sin and dying from a worldly perspective, that seems to be the most foolish thing that could ever happen. That the only one who's ever walked on this earth who did not deserve death not only took it, but took it for everyone who would repent and believe. So we stand amazed. We stand amazed that Jesus would put on flesh and would walk carefully in wisdom every day of his life. That he and he alone would be able to atone for our sin. And he and he alone would have the power of the resurrection he would walk from a tomb and call his people to himself. Oh, that we would hear your voice. Oh, that we would listen to you. Oh, that we would walk in your ways. Father, this evening as we continue to worship through song, as we gather around the table and worship through communion, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts. I pray that you would open up to us those places where we have shut off our hearing to you. Those places where we have put blinders on so that we are not walking in wisdom. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and show us that one thing that we need to repent of. Show us that one thing that we need to start. And Father, that would be the first step of a lifetime journey. Father, it may be here that someone has never taken the truth of the gospel to heart. Maybe they believe in God. Maybe they believe in church. Maybe they're whatever. But there's never been a place where we've said, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to repent. So today, Father, tonight, this moment, I would pray as we sing, as we gather, as we continue to pray as we continue to worship I pray that you would draw us to you in that repentant spirit and we would know you and know you for all of eternity continue to guide us as we worship in Jesus name Amen let's stand together and continue